This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's stand and uh, sing our opening hymn. It's 444. Reconciling Christ, bless our efforts to bring about reconciliation. 
Give us the strength to persevere without counting the hurts and to find within ourselves the capacity to keep on loving. Give us the grace to be able to stand in the middle of situations and to be a conduit for the deep listening which can lead to healing and forgiveness. Help us to conduct ourselves with dignity, giving and expecting respect, moving from prayer to action and from action back to prayer again. Grant that we may be so grounded in your love that our security is not threatened if we change our minds or begin to see a better way to act. Bless those who are called to reconcile on a large scale, politicians, world leaders, leaders of businesses, and those who stand in the midst of bitter conflict. Reconciling Christ, bless us and bless all who engage in the sacred work of envisioning a new wholeness and bringing people and nations together. We pray all of this saying the prayer that your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Surely the presence of the Lord truly is in this place. And we want to give thanks for the ways in which God has blessed us and our lives and the world around us. And in our acts of doing that, we present our tithes, gifts, and offering to God so that we can work together to bring God's kingdom here on earth. Our ushers will wait upon us.
accept these gifts as just tokens of appreciation for the fact that your love has transformed our lives so profoundly. In your son's efforts to reconcile us, use these gifts to reconcile us with the world and the world with you so that we might see the new creation in which you hope for. Amen. Amen.
listen and receive our reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart of God, and do a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be unto God. I have to apologize just a little bit if I sound uh, a little emotional, but when the world goes a little crazy and you hear that kind of singing, doesn't it just touch you? Beautiful gift for us all to, uh, to do that. So forgive me <clears throat> for a second. So I'm trying to uh, give you a sense of a little bit of who I am, who you've uh, found yourself uh, so warmly receiving with a, a series of sermons on some things that I, I sense are key uh, for me and my faith and, and my ministry. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's not just a uh, a sermon of self-indulgence as I'm talking about myself, but actually you will be hearing things that resonate with you, and uh, what I speak about will be uh, things that you recall in your own heart of, of why you are here at church, why you are a person of faith, and, and why you do what you do between the Sundays. We've talked about the love of the Lord, and we've talked about my hope for the church, and today, interestingly enough, with what is going on in the world, the topic today was a desire to change the world. So I'll own up to my age and I'll say that I'm a boomer and I came of age in the, in the late 60s. Some of you have heard that I had hair down to the middle of my back. That's a, a lie. That's not true. Whoever has been spreading that rumor, um, no. So there were some interesting days back then. You can remember back, can't you? And, Today, I am wanting to remember those together with you to kind of lay a foundation as to how um, we've come to where we've come. My memory is that those were pretty confusing and passionate days for many American families, the late 60s and the early 70s. In my family, we had two sons-in-law who were in the service, in the military service, and one, when I was coming of age, was actually dodging bullets in Southeast Asia. At the same time, uh, we had two cousins 
who were registering new voters in the Deep South. And if you can imagine it, one of them was also dodging bullets. There were lots of patriotic words and idealistic critiques bantered around our dinner table. My folks were trying to hold the center and let things not spin out of control. They were Eisenhower Republicans, which in my understanding, that meant that you wear a cloth coat, not a fancy coat. Some other things distinguished them, if I remember correctly, but that was one that mom used to have a lot of fun talking about. Yet the world, in their minds, was getting a little out of whack from what they were thinking would be happening when their children came of age. And I think, in truth, they felt their children were at some jeopardy as well, and so there was deep concern. The events in Charlottesville have gotten me to think a little bit more, I guess, emotionally about those days than if it had not happened these last couple days. I can remember back in those days the joy that we felt, the excitement that we felt for the first Earth Day. Do you remember that? Do you remember how we all were just feeling like, all right, we're going to do something good. We are going to be good stewards of God's creation. A lot of positive sentiment. We celebrated that in my community by uh, handing out leaflets at the 4th of July to make sure everybody would be aware of caring for the planet and not polluting. And we handed out about 2,000 of those leaflets. They were all left over the park <laughs> at the end of the event. So we, we trumpeted the environmental cause by polluting our community. But we were trying, right? We were trying to do the right thing. Free speech teach-ins and the excitement, just the marvel we all had of the landing on the moon. Gosh, if that was possible, what was not possible for us, right? What was not possible if we could do that? Yet then again, the sadness at Pettus Bridge and the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby and the, the Kent State killings. Ideals were kind of tempered by all of that, I think. Yet they were not derailed. Now, your memories might not be the same as mine. I'm, I'm sure of that. But I think we probably share some similar insights and themes of, of those days. Time and again already, over these three months or three weeks, Rachel and I have, have kind of been amazed at how much we have heard from you of your desire to make a difference in the community, a difference in people's lives, and to change the world. You've, you've already made that clear, that that's, that's what's in your heart. That's what you're about in your faith. We celebrate that because we share with you that passion that people of faith ought to be making some kind of difference of consequence because they are people of faith. I recall mom saying to me, remember Chip, to whom much is given, much is expected. I sense a lot of moms said that. And it wasn't enough really, and it wasn't only our moms who were saying that, it was our pastors who was saying that to us. 
At least I know for sure my pastor was saying that loud and clear to me. We called him Uncle Leon because he was like a family member to our, our family. I've mentioned him before about how he married all the Dilges of my parents' generation and baptized all the Dilges of my generation. He would travel the world and, and bring back object lessons and stories about the hopes and the, the dreams of children and families around the globe. He wanted to make sure that we understood that the whole world was God's. And all the people of the world were God's children, not just us in New York. He wanted to make sure that we recognized that God had a hope for all of the world, for all of these children. And that we were connected with them, we were intertwined with them. Our, our future was in their hands as much as their future was in ours. God wanted us all to have a better place. Kofe would quote Isaiah about the, the lamb and the lion. He'd quote Hosea about the plumb line and justice. He'd quote Jesus about the sheep and the goats. And we all got it. We didn't want to be goats. Don't be a goat. We heard what he was saying. I heard what he was saying. And God was talking to me through Kof. And it's Rachel and my prayer that in some small fashion, God might actually speak to you through us, your children and your grandchildren. May that be true, huh? So I head off to college thinking I was going to be a lawyer, thinking, that, well, that's the thing. That's what I should do because... That is a way to change the world, work on the social structures. The more I thought about it, though, the more I, I sensed that maybe there was a, a deeper level than law. Apology to you lawyers out there. Maybe there was a, a, a deeper level of changing the world that God might be leading me to. And I decided that was psychology, that I was going to be a, a therapist and and that would help change the world because I'd be working with people's relationships. I'd be working with how they feel a little crazy inside. And, and if we could just get rid of that craziness and if we could learn how to um, behave a little bit better in relationships, that maybe the world would change. Well, I was thinking about that for a while. And then, then I felt God nudging again and saying, well, no, there's, there's another layer of depth that I want you to go to. And that was working with people and their souls. I felt God saying to me that the core problem, the, the fundamental issue, the central challenge for us in our life is whether we're right with God. And if we could just get right with God, then our relationships might turn to the right and the way we conduct ourselves in society might turn to the right. And we might actually save the world. So here, these are the ramblings of a, of a guy late at night who uh, tries to be open and listen to the nudging of God. This is how you end up in the pulpit. <laughs> this kind of thinking is what does it to you. 
I think, I think of Michael Jackson's song. It's one of the uh, a few of the songs that I like that he used to do. It was popular a while ago. It's still popular in my heart. It's called Man in the Mirror. And, and one of the lines says, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself and make a change. And I think that's true. At some point in our lives, I think all of us, that's why we're here, at some point in our lives, we picked ourselves up out of the gutter or we got down off of our high horse and we took a long look in the mirror and we gave ourselves a talking to. And we said, God has more for us than this. And if you're sensitive to what I'm saying, you might imagine this, picture this in your time, in your space, as this happened to you, the way it happened to you. I see it as God grabbing me by the the nap. Is that the nap of the neck? And grabbing hold and not letting go. And as much as I squirmed and as much as I tried to shake that off, God did not let go. And so we fall to our knees and we lift our gaze to the heavens and we pray to the good Lord that God would not give us our just desserts, but rather God would be merciful with our sorry souls. And God was. And God is. God's love has poured out into our awareness, into our hearts, and has been mending our souls. And so we come to church. We come to a church like this to remember and to celebrate that kind of moment that happened to us. And and we come to seek and be open again to a, a new experience of that moment if we've started to feel a little knocked back or we've, we've kind of lost our balance. We feel spiritually out of sorts. We come again seeking that touch through the love of God. And we come to church, I think, to help change other folk by participating in the spiritual dynamic of that for them, finding ways to offer that to them. We come to church because we have a love of the Lord. We come to church because we have a hope of what God will do through the church. We come to church because together we know we can make a better difference than separately. We come to church so that we can become more fully each week that whom God would have us be. Scripture reminds us of this, the scripture we heard today. Paul writes, all this is from God. All this that's been happening is from God, Paul says. The God who reconciled himself, reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry 
of reconciliation. Not the ministry of judgment. Not the ministry of exclusion. Not the ministry of self-righteousness or some kind of spiritual arrogance of some kind. God has given us, given us, given you and me, the ministry of reconciliation in his spirit to those around us and in our community. Paul is talking about how God is doing a new thing. God is making a new creation, and we are a part of that creation. Paul is talking about how the power of the Spirit in our lives makes us new and invites us into some kind of new way of being human and of being human with one another. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, but entrusting the message of reconciliation to us to get beyond the trespasses. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Now you've heard that a lot, haven't you? And I've, I've preached on that probably a couple times <laughs> in my lifetime, but I think it's something that we just zip right on by and don't pause like we should when we hear it. You are God's ambassador. Now, those kids last night, John, good work last night with those uh, 17 youth who decided to take Boyd up on his offer of Boyd's Beach Bonfire. Do you know that's been going on for years and years and years? Your church has um, been leading its youth to a deserted space of sand north of Ventura to uh, break the law. <laughs> Dig in the sand, start a fire. <laughs> Safely done, though, and well done. But I say that about the youth. I bring them into this because they're watching you. These kids are watching me. They're listening to what I say, they're listening to what you say. You are their ambassador for Christ. What do you make of what's happening? They're going to listen to what you say and listen to what you do. You have the opportunity to bring Christ alive in new ways to these kids, just like we do to the other millennials that we referred to in last week's sermon who see the church as so unchristian. If you, like me, would like to disabuse them of that thought, then we have some work to do, don't we? But it is our work to do. God has given it to us. As Paul says, we are ambassadors of God, of Christ, to our world. Since God is making his appeal through us. If you don't like the way some Christians are talking about God, talking about their neighbor, it's incumbent upon you and I to speak up on behalf of God 
and present the Christ of love that has touched and redeemed our lives. God is making God's appeal through you and I as ambassadors to Christ. So, Paul says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God. Get yourself straight with God so you can help others get in touch with God and get straight. Through our faith, it is that we get healed, mended, redeemed. We get transformed by the power of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. We are made by that into a new creation, which God challenges us to live into, to make real in our community, in our nation, in our world. This is ministry. This is, this is what we're called to do as faithful believers of Christ. We're called to be people that usher in the new creation, that live into the new creation. Key to ministry for us ordained as well as you lay. Now, I became a clergy. I'll, I'll, I'll state straight out. I became a clergy because I wanted to partner with God to change the world. In the earlier years, it was uh, very grandiose. I was going to help save the world. God was going to help save the world through me. I got a little better in my thinking about that, and I realized that I was going to help God do what God wanted to do. Um, I confess, these are, these are truths for all of us, I think, probably. But I feel I was called into ministry to be partners with God in this glorious task, and that I was not called into ministry to go to meetings. not called into ministry to fix the plumbing or fix the roof. I recognize, though, that that has to be done. We have to have a balanced budget. If we're going to have a $900,000 budget, we've got to give to it and make it work. And we shouldn't be begging each other for money to keep things afloat. That's baseline stuff for us as the body of Christ. We do this stuff. We do this stuff so we have a home base of mission to reach out to help build a new creation. So I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to try to encourage you to be generous. I'm going to do those things that the institution of the church needs so that we actually have a mission base by which to do the things God drives us out to do. And I would say just to be honest with you, I don't think you came to church to be on committees. I don't think you came to church to fix the roof or to fix the plumbing either. But you know, like I know, that that needs to be done too. And so you give yourself over to that and you try to be a good steward of this place. But I know you're here because of your love of the Lord and because you want to make a difference in the community too. And that's what we should be about. That's where our energy should go, where our time should go, not fussing with making sure that budgets are met. Make the budget be met 
make the rugs be clean, and let's get on to the glorious work that God calls us to do, which is to transform individual lives collectively to transform the world. If anything, this, the events of this weekend, being with the youth and listening to the news yesterday has made it clearer to me that we should not be throttling down or living on a plateau, feeling like things will just work out. There is lots at stake in human life. And I think we saw it in a couple different ways over this weekend. I know I have. And it has renewed my sense of the vigor of the importance of our faith. To live it clearly and to let it loose in the world. So I invite you to be in partnership with God on this glorious, glorious privilege of partnering with God to help usher in the new creation. What could be better? What could be better than that? Nothing. Amen. Amen. Let us respond to the message that we've just heard by standing and singing, Lord, you give the Great Commission. And if it's all right with Walt and Ron, we're going to sing all five verses. So let us stand and join together.
we're quick learners. So here we are, looking to hold your hands. And I think in doing this, we're affirming our oneness with each other and our oneness with God, that God's spirit pulses through all of our lives and we are built up by each other. At least that's what I think. Is that what we're doing? Amen. 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 Go on God's love. Go on God's love. There is a hurting and a hoping world out there for something more than what we've seen. So go on God's love and make a difference. Amen. 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 Amen.